Yeah, I think it's an excellent time to be a lighting designer. I think we have lots of exciting road ahead in terms of what we can do. This is the Gibble Podcast. Every episode, I talk to persons that shine a new light on our built environment. I'm Jessica, editor of Get Inspired by Light magazine. Get Inspired by Light is an initiative of Trilux. This time I'm talking to Enrique Beiniger and Jean Sundin of Lighting Design Bureau, OVI New York. Jean and Enrique are founding partners and partners in life. Together, this passionate and enthusiastic couple has worked on numerous impressive projects around the globe with world-renowned architects, such as the late Zaha Hadid. A conversation about creativity, design and the future. So, Enrique and Jean, you're both lighting designers. How did you end up working in lighting design? That's right. Actually, I'm an interior designer by training, and I found lighting through through that avenue. And um, as an interior design student, I, I discovered lighting um, as part of the design of showrooms and um, finishes and materials. And uh, I think that intrigued me and how to transform space without physically changing it. That was a really big trigger for me in terms of getting into lighting design. I thought that, you know, if I knew about lighting, it would make me a better interior designer. And I had always planned to, you know, just have it as a compliment. But the more I learned and the more I knew about lighting, the more I knew that was the design avenue for me. And I didn't really go back into interiors except to enhance them and, and be knowledgeable about them. Um, so I continued my practice of lighting um, over the last 35 years, just focused on lighting design. But I feel like my interiors background helped me, but that was the catalyst for it is the transformation of space. Um, and it's just amazing what lighting, what lighting can do. Okay. For me, it was a little bit different. Actually, I was always interested in architecture since I was a small kid. The first really intense experience I had about architecture is when I was, I think, like in my teens, like 15, 16, I spent, I think, two or three weeks in a monastery. I thought it was fascinating to be in a medieval monastery in the southern part of Germany, how architecture and space combined how people, how the monks were living. I was staying with the monks. So I was really fascinated in architecture. So I studied architecture and architecture was unique, but I was always interested in the human component, how how space interacts with people and how it revibrates back and forth. So that's when I thought, oh, I need to find something which is which is the subject of that. And so I felt lighting design is actually unique. It's one artistic. It has a big component, of course, the same component also technology. And with lighting, you can change so many atmospheres, emotions, and to transform people. Uh, what I say very often, light design is for us very often like film music. The architecture is a film. And the music is actually the lighting design. And you, in a good movie, you never notice the music. It simply transforms you into a different way to look at the movie. And that's what I like about lighting design. That's beautiful. And how did you two meet? Actually, in Germany, there was not a lighting community as professional as in America. America was ahead as lighting designers. What I managed actually is to get an internship at a lighting studio in Washington, D.C. And I said, I don't care. I take any position. And if I end up there, I, it will work out. The role principal, the role leader was actually Gene. So I became the intern of Gene for my first job. I was promoted to become director very quickly for, for marketing. So, uh, But I knew. I had to get to America. And I was in, in, up in the office where Gene was. Gene, what was your take? 
<laughs> well, yes, I was a you know sort of studio lead uh, for uh, a lighting design office in in DC, um, and you know already having quite a bit of experience and running things there. And then I was told that we were having this, um, you know, German intern and I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do with, with that? Um, so <laughs> we had a, a pretty big project in Germany at the time, but it was kind of nearing the end. Um, but still I thought, okay, well, that will be a good start. And so, um, Enrique came to the studio, didn't even know how to pronounce his name because it's so unusual. But you called me Mr. Peiniger. I called him Mr. Peiniger. We were setting things up for him for his arrival. And uh, yeah, I mean, what, like you said, I mean, there was, you know, obviously he was not more qualified than an intern, but that was the position that was available. So we, um, we worked together and yeah, I mean, he was actually very capable with, you know, outreach to, to clients and discussing things with architects and so on. And uh, I know when I come to America, it is a good office. I can do something unique. And yeah. the point was I could do something unique, but it was much more unique than expected because I met Jean. <laughs> wow. And and then you even ended up founding a company together. Yeah, this was a unique twist, which was not expected. Yes. Actually, <laughs> right. actually we did not expect at all to, build, uh, to have an own office. Uh, well, so. we didn't even know each other. So, I mean, that no, was but after like, we met each other, we didn't well, say, oh, of course. Uh, it was never planned to set up an office. The point is, no. we could see how much more was possible. When we were working in DC, uh, actually, the designer there was working simply for a ceiling plan, for wall elevation, for drawings to put lighting on points, lines, or wherever. We said, oh, no, there's much more we can do before laying out the light. There's something happens actually to integrate the light, not applying the light. And we were really interested how to really fuse architecture and lighting, not only putting light on the ceiling, on the wall. There's a whole exploratory process that happens that's, you know, inspiring. And you, you know, you, you get inspired from the, the architecture or the interiors itself. You get inspired by the materials you think they're going to use and the things that you want to create. And, you know... We always find, I mean, it's it's tricky to do, but we always try to find the story of a project. So, you know, every building tells a story and we have to like be explorers and kind of find find that. What is the building trying to say? Um, so when we, when we find that, you know, there is so much more that you can do with lighting. And so for that reason, um, we, you know, we, we, we discovered we had complementary skills, um, as I was mentioning. And so, you know, we thought there's much more we can do. Um, and so we set out to do that. A down light, a linear light, a suspended light, a recessed light is not a story. Right. The story is the soul of a building. And that's what we are after. That's when we look for so many, we work with so many different projects, different architects, and each project is different. The lighting solution is each time different because we have to find the storyline about it. And not lighting shouldn't cry out loud. It should be a very soft story, which is part of the architecture. So that's interesting. So how do you find the soul of a building or a project? Listening. You have to listen. Actually, you get markers before you start. What is the Arctic about? What's the cultural context where the port is located? Is it in Scotland, Glasgow School of Arts? Is it somewhere in the desert? What is the uh, environmental conditions? The architect, how is it in line with other projects? How is this next extension? How would it be if the architect did it themselves, for example? You know, we don't want it to look like we had an intervention there, uh, you know, with lighting design. So we really, yeah, to pick up on what Enrique is saying, we really tried to find how they would do it. Yeah. So you work closely together with the architects of a project. Very much. We have to combine many interest groups, uh, client, what is the user about? 
when we we work right now on a project for Lululemon, the apparel uh, yoga company, such a client has different objectives. So a, a solution for them is different from a governmental client like a Scottish Parliament or Canadian Parliament. Yeah, could you tell me something more about the Canadian Parliament while we're on it? What was that project like? With what kind of question did they come to you, for instance? I think this goes back to um, us already having done a parliament. We did the Scottish Parliament. Uh, we started on that project in 1997, and and I think completed it in early 2000s. Um, and then the Canadian Parliament was underway for quite some time. It's a historic building, and they were actually wanting to um, put a glass roof over a courtyard and make that into their new TV broadcast space. Repurpose an exterior space to become an interior courtyard, which is then serving as a, as a debating chamber. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a big order to fill. And there were a lot of experts, uh, you know, part of that project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big teams <laughs> to work with. But in terms of TV broadcast lighting, it's it's very, um, it's very specific on what has to be done there for it to be sub successful. So we um, mentioned that we like integrated solutions. So based on the knowledge of TV broadcasting, we know reverse we know that we need specific aiming angles. So how can we make sure that the light is really incorporated? So what we did this in a very short nutshell set, we reverse engineer where the lights have to be, what the perfect conditions are, and we, we know they have to be certain in certain position in space. So what we advise the structural engineer, where to put columns that our lights are actually embedded into the columns. They have the right aiming angle to have perfect aiming conditions. So you don't have to hang them like a, on a gantry system in the middle of the space. So we could advise the structural engineer where to put the columns. And then of course, the next step was, Organize with manufacturer exactly the right light levels, the right beam angles, the right color temperature, the right frequency. So just to pick up on that, the, the design of the chamber is one that has like a row of structural trees on each side holding the glass roof. And these trees, the branches, so to speak, of these trees were tilted at a specific angle that we agreed with them so that we could optimize the aiming angles of the light, just to give a visual to what Enrique was just describing. So we could actually do that because of course this was new construction right it was an old historic building but with the glass roof and everything inside it it was all new construction so we could actually do that and have optimal setting out points when you walk in you have lighting it looks very natural with the daylight how we organize the daylighting and also the light so it's really the point is you should experience space and not it's actually it's a tv studio but you don't experience a tv studio that's actually what we really like. Also for the comet rooms, we have big glowing stars element there, which are diffuse elements. And they look very, it's a metaphor of the Canadian uh, leaf. But there were underground spaces that were very challenging to do because they were so, had such low ceilings. Um, <clears throat> it's a little bit counterintuitive to think about it. But when you have low ceilings, you actually need more lights just because the lights don't have a chance to spread out. So we came up with a, um, a solution to do um, really beautiful ceiling systems that were like tapestries and these tapestries provided you know ambient light levels and then we could go in and do the supplemental lighting and we never use technology or function because it's a tv studio to make a space ugly it should be beautiful yeah so it's a lot of things that you have to think about and manage and take in consideration how do you keep an overview in a project that experience comes with time. <laughs> Actually, simply the problem is when you are designing, there's so much things to think about. 
think about it like in a tennis match. Not one ball is coming. There are 15, 20, sometimes 30 balls coming at the same moment. You have to pick the important balls to play, keep in play. You cannot play everything. You have to strategize. You have to understand what's important at this moment, what's important in the next two weeks, two months, and the next two years. And that is simply coming with experience because there's no recipe because projects are so different. There's so different yeah. projects uh, and the client is so different and then the economy may be changing. So then it's always something, there's no recipe for that. Actually, one pitfall I want to mention is the following. Because it worked last time, it doesn't mean it works next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we did this, uh, the, we did this uh, Scottish Parliament, the, part, uh, the Canadian Parliament doesn't mean the next Parliament is working exactly the same. Because we did the word Expo. This formula, does, it's not a formula which works for us next. We've always be more mind, mindful about it. Yeah. Our process is a very um, integrated, collaborative one. And that means that, you know, we, we also have to have the right dialogue partners to do that. People who are interested to have that kind of collaboration, you know, because it's like a, 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 a ping pong effect where, you know, we might suggest something and then they interpret it and send it back to us. And then we get a new idea and then we send it back to them. And it's really a quite interesting thing that happens and how a project evolves with the integration and input of, of so many minds. It's fun. Hi, this is Jessica. It's so great that you're listening. Want to know more about Jean and Enrique of OVI New York? Go to getinspiredbylight.com and see what their projects look like. Now let's get back to the conversation. Enjoy! What part of the creative process do you like most, personally? Hmm. I think there's a lot of moments that are enjoyable. I mean, I think maybe, maybe that means that's a good fit that we like what we do. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's always a magic moment at the beginning, you know, where you get this catalyst of an idea and it's starting to fit together all the pieces, the cultural context, the architect and the vision and starts to gel into this idea. And that's, that's always a, a great moment to see it. And then, then from there, it just kind of evolves and transforms. And by the time you're at the end, you know, it's, it's wonderful to see it implemented. So I don't know, along, for me, along the way, there's a lot of, of moments. For me, the most fascinating creative moment is the following. When we start an idea, uh, we come up with a metaphor, a short storyline. We ping pong it to the Arctic and they, they make something else out of it or add some line. And then we, we edit, we collaborate to develop a storyline. This happened actually on Unicorn Island that we showed. Actually, the island could be a coral reef. The Arctic loved the metaphor, a coral reef. And that was actually starting to to gel together. That's not we sit, Jean, I sit there and write a story, and that's not how a story is coming together. A story is a collaborative process to, uh, between our designers at OVI and the Arctic and the client. And when this ping pong between different parties takes place, that's cool. Yeah. For example, yeah, for Unicorn Island, it was really interesting because we didn't sit down and think about, you know, we, we approached the master plan in a different way. We have all of these buildings and we didn't start thinking, okay, which one is bright? Which one has color? You know, we started thinking about, hmm, it's on the water. It's on the water. And this reminds us, these formations are so unique and sculptural and different. It reminds us of a coral reef. And wouldn't it be cool if we could actually, you know, have the buildings be in different tones from stainless steel to bronze or things like that. So we're actually able to, you know, introduce those kind of ideas. And those then 
were absorbed by the architect. They liked it very much. And then they infused the interiors of the buildings with these same kind of metaphors. So it was really lovely that you'd have this sort of, you know, sea anemone kind of feel. And so we'd have fluidity of light. We'd have a certain color tone maybe. And then they would pull that into the inside lobby finishes and materials. And so it's a very holistic experience. You have to find the story and figure it out. It's a weird example of collaboration. It's not that we have, oh, we have one department who's doing story writing. It's not working. It comes out of the process, out of the practical exchange of ideas. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're uh, both partners in professionally, but also in life. Does that also help? Well, <laughs> 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 no, I think, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. I think it works for us. It has worked for us, you know, and I think it's quite a stressful workout to to do these kind of projects. And I think it does help that, you know, we've kind of riding the same roller coaster. You know, it's it's worked. I think we have a lot of time when we're being inspired by things and looking at things, whether we travel together or we've explored a city together or we think. So we have sort of the same visual database, you know, and experiences that often help, I think, the work. When looking at the future, where do you want to go with the company? Oh, actually, that's a good question. There is no storyboard. There's no fixed plan. So what we have now, unique skill set at OVI, expertise, we have knowledge, but actually we, have, we would like to, we are open-minded. What, what are the environmental challenges? What tasks are sensible to really deploy our expertise on? Our field of activity is lighting design, daylighting, product development, these kind of elements. But it's not that we say, oh, successful will be two more parliaments or one more this or five more this. That's not how we think. We look at it actually how can we contribute and actually push forward culture in lighting and technology and different elements. That is actually what we're looking for. I totally agree. And and actually I wouldn't want to know you know, I think we've had the chance to work on so many things. If I had if I had like mapped out what I wanted you know, wouldn't even compare to what we've been able to do. I wouldn't have said, oh, I want to work on two parliaments and the World Expo. And I wouldn't have picked those things perhaps, but I mean, wow, what a, what a, what a lovely thing to have happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm keen to see what happens next. And we're, we're prepared and flexible for whatever hey, that might be. We want to look at something which is fun, which is cool, which makes sense. How can we, from our position, be sustainable? How can we reinvent packaging of lighting? How can we, how, what was our skill set? How can we have a cool contribution? In different markets, markets are different. China is different from uh, United States, from Middle East. What can we do? That's unique. People think too often they have a bucket list. Or do they think of they have a bucket list? Seriously, they don't think they seriously have a bucket list. If I work with this architect, I have a successful career. That, this is not happening. <laughs> That's not how we think. Actually, the point is, actually, it should be fulfilling not only for Gina and week it's a team. The whole team has to feel good about the work. And that's actually what we think. That's beautiful. As a society, we have some uh, major challenges ahead of us with climate change and our energy consumption is part of that as well. What role does lighting play in this, you think? I think we have to think lighting are more holistic. For example, there are tremendous energy savings in daylighting systems, how you rotate buildings before you place a light bulb, before you talk about how much energy being used, where are rooms located, how are they exposed to sun, how much heat gain is there, how much power consumption is there, how much uh, 
solar gain is there. So there's a, I think there's not enough awareness of daylighting, how to optimize a building for daylighting conditions before even you do traditional lighting design. So there's a gigantic savings. That is something I would really love that it's become more aware. I think also that we think less in territories, in silos. So often we think in a silo how much watts per square meters we're using, but does it make sense in the big picture? How is a user involved in something like this? We have to think more holistically that how the buildings are really used. You have to nearly think reverse. Who is a user? How is it being used? And then design the building backwards. Yeah, I 100% I agree with that. I think there's so much we can do to the envelope of the building. You know, we often say lighting is not just watts and dots. Right. So, I mean, there's so much more that you can do even before you get to that sort of status. I think so many people are focused on, you know, these comm check and, and adding up the wattage and seeing where they are. Actually, it's not about squeezing it all down. It's actually about using it strategically. You know, where do we need light? Where is that going to make the biggest impact? What kind of story are we telling? Do we have contrast of light and shadow? We can't just bright, light, brightly light everything. So I, th I think there's just a lot of things, you know, smart use of daylight in a, in, a, in a clever way, not just, you know, skylights or something, really shaping buildings and shaping the building envelope. Yeah. So maybe I'd like to finish with, off with just one more question. That would be, if you could change uh, one thing in the blink of an eye in your industry, what would that be? That's an interesting question. Maybe I'll come from an education side of things. You know, different kinds of, of training as uh, designers come into our field, into our industry. You know, I think there kind of almost needs to be this this little bridge in between school and working so that there's, you know, more base of experience uh, for them to jump into the real world things. There's so much to know as lighting designers these days. You know, it's not about lamps and things anymore. It's about, you know, all these kind of interactive systems and, you know, tunable white and all, you know, there's so much more technology now than we had before. And I think, you know, there's just no way um, that schools can teach all the things necessary in the toolkit there. So I think there's there's like there's some kind of module or bridge or some some kind of gap there that could be filled, which would be, I think, helpful in the lighting industry. If I can answer the question, what can change the blink of an eye? The misunderstanding of codes and standards. Unfortunately, codes and standards are nearly mis uh, misunderstood. Oh, I have so much light level here, so I put the lights here. Actually, codes are misunderstood as a design guideline. Actually, the point is, codes and standards don't limit our creativity at OVI, but too often people think that's a recipe how to deliver a project. And clients think this way. Um, they nearly are misled that the codes and standards are delivering a certain uh, project. When you know the gas mileage per car doesn't mean it's a good car. But the codes and standards are too often misunderstood that they deliver, oh, we designed this code and it's a good design. Actually, misrumor is that it's backwards. Actually, we have to have good design, good uh, forward-thinking design, and it, it also fulfills all the technical requirements. It's just a misunderstanding. When people get nervous, they, they fall back on the codes and say no one can touch them on that. And that is a misrumor. If I can change this misunderstanding, it would be wonderful. But we need also the codes and standards. That is also clear. So I cannot throw this out and I get nothing in a change. So I know this, but there's a misunderstanding on it. It's very hard. 
This is um, the spin-off effect we were talking about earlier, where something that Enrique said just triggered me now to probably the biggest thing I would change in our industry is how we get signed up for a project and the understanding that lighting design is necessary and not just this pretty cherry on the top of a cake, you know, or whatever it is. Getting lighting designers signed up on a job just the way you would have structural engineers, electrical engineers, it should be commonplace that a lighting designer is assigned to a commercial project anyway. And um, I think that would be something that, you know, we work on as uh, lighting associations, you know, our lighting associations are working on that to change it, but it's such a slow road. Yeah. Thank you very much for this wonderful conversation. And is there something you'd like to finish off with or? Oh, I, I think I would like really have a pledge for the next generation. Be out there, dare, but be patient, it takes time. And it can be a super cool ride. So that's actually something I really wish that the next generation is really, don't get bugged down by the challenges, get, uh, get, get some wings with opportunities. Yeah, I think it's an excellent time to be a lighting designer. I think we have lots of exciting uh, road ahead in terms of what we can do, the projects that are coming. They're so creative. All regions of the world, technology is amazing. We can do things we could never do before. So I think it's, it's a great time to be in this industry. Well, thank you very much. That's beautiful. Okay, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This was the Gibble Podcast with Jean Sundin and Enrique Beiniger of OVI New York. Read more about Jean and Enrique on GetInspiredByLight.com. On the next episode, I talk to architect Marvin Bratke of Urban Beta Berlin about circular and modular design. We really saw this in the Corona crisis where like uh, complete city quarters that are monofunctional do not work anymore.